iOS 12. What about it? It now has screen time. Yes, it does. And after YouTube sharing its, what do they call it? Time watched. So now better than that, you can see what you've been doing elsewhere in all your other apps. So what's your screen time? It's quite high. It's like four hours a day. Four hours a day? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. What, what, what are you doing on your phone? Browsing the net. Is that your highest screen time app? Yeah, it is. Literally four hours? Not just browsing, but four hours a day. Okay, so let's check mine. Now that I finally upgraded to iOS 12. So mine is two hours a day. The majority of which is WhatsApp. You don't use Reddit much. I think this is actually just because I've been really busy recently. <laughs> Because my phone is mostly going to be what I use at work. When I'm not at work, I'm going to be using my PC or the iPad. And the amount of time I'm spending on my phone at work is directly correlated with how busy I am at work. And I've just been really busy recently. I thought you were travelling or walking around with your head in your phone. Yeah, but (laughs) my commute to work is not that long. (laughs) That time, two hours a day... Like, one hour of that is commuting to and from the office. Well, you don't really do anything else at work. <laughs> well, I don't really do anything else on my phone at work, anyway. And the large amount of WhatsApp on my phone is actually because work uses WhatsApp to communicate as well. So, I've just been really busy. Let's look at your other device. Okay, mine. let's look at the iPad. <laughs> Two minutes a day. Looks fine to me. So apparently, two minutes a day? That's definitely wrong. We just spent two minutes watching the YouTube app. And that's all it's recorded. We only recorded 47 seconds of YouTube. I, I blame Johnny Ive. It's all style over substance now. It's like, we made your viewing time slim as well. Honestly, Apple, what's going on? What's going on? This would never happen. <laughs> yeah, it totally would. I don't know. I guess we'll never know. Next time. Next time. Next time on Lost Levels Club... How much time Michael spends looking at his iPad? Maybe it overflowed. What's the maximum? <laughs> what's the maximum number you can hold in a 32-bit int? Maybe it was 2 billion hours. Maybe they've decided to record seconds or something. Well, too bad. I guess we're not going to find out now. It's probably largely YouTube. Do you want to do an update on the YouTube stat? Oh, yes, please. Well, yesterday's YouTube stat alone was 4 hours. So... <laughs> That may give you some indication. You're not letting me down. So what were you watching on YouTube? So my new YouTube down the rabbit hole obsession, PBS Spacetime. It's an educational video series about science. Specifically like cosmology and quantum physics and particle physics and stuff. I don't know what to say. It's really interesting. It's really interesting. Make it interesting. Make it interesting. Uh, Well, it started a few years ago, and I think when it very first started, it had a different host. But then it's had the same host now for a couple of years. This guy whose name I don't even know, but he's very entertaining. He, I don't know, he has a particular demeanor. And he just generally has this quite like wry sense of humor and makes the subject approachable, but doesn't dumb it down. Can you do an impression? 
I really can't. <laughs> Sorry. You're just going to have to watch it. How did I find this? It was another case of YouTube just suggesting videos at me and then just watching one video and be like, oh, this is good. And then just four hours later. I think just the topics it covers are ones I'm also generally interested in. So timeless kind of questions about, you know, the physics of the universe. So it talks about like space time and black holes and how we could build a warp drive. And then also topical things like Oumuamua, the mysterious interstellar object that passed through the solar system, or that magical microwave thrusterless drive, and whether it really produced thrust or not, and so on and so on. So yeah, it's just a very interesting series. And it's expanding your mind. It does quizzes? Yeah, every now and then they'll have a challenge question. Like, aliens are going to destroy the Earth by creating a Kugelblitz black hole. Which of these two plans should we enact to save the Earth? And you have to pick one of the two plans and explain why it is the correct plan. Answers on a postcard. And if you, well, obviously not really answers on a postcard, answers in an email. (laughs) And then they will pick a selection of the correct answers and send them a t-shirt. I like the one about... Sending data through time. Yeah, can you cheat on the lottery by sending data back in time utilising the quantum eraser effect? Spoilers, no. So there you go, you should watch it, expand your mind. Do you have a fun fact? Do I have a fun fact? I'm a massive nerd! Oh, about physics? Yes. Now I've been put on the spot, my mind is completely blank. I've forgotten everything. What's my name? Last thing. So Disney have just put out the Lion King teaser. And I wanted to ask you what you thought about Disney just remaking everything as a live action movie. Is it really live action? Surely we should be saying as a CGI movie. As a CGI movie. Is this a good thing? Is this just scraping the barrel? Is this, while we've run out of ideas, quick, let's remake our old things again with fur shaders. All the kids are ready. All the kids are adults now. Everyone's just banking on nostalgia. It's so lazy. Actually, it's funny though, because like, Beyonce's in it, right? Yes. Because I suppose technically, they could have just reused the original audio and just animated it again. But they haven't. Have you watched any of the others? Have you watched The Jungle Book? Yes, I have. And was it good? I don't know. I don't. I, I've never watched the original Jungle Book. Wait, wait, you've never watched the original? No, we've not watched Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, fair enough. That's a good point. I have watched Beauty and the Beast, and was that good? Yes. And have you seen the original? Yes. Okay, and it holds up well against the original. I think so. Yeah. You don't care for these movies. I can't say I'm super fussed about these live action. Oh, even though I'm saying live action now, remakes. I mean, I am interested in animation in general. For example, I do want to see Wreck-It Ralph 2. But I'm not sure I can be bothered to watch The Lion King again. Just with more realistic lions. So 90s Disney doesn't have a place in your heart? Well, no, it does. But as 90s Disney, like... You don't need to go back. I don't need to go back. It's just like... 
why make it again with like computer graphics it's just like it's just so weird it's it's gonna be oh it's like it's like the star wars special edition you know you had a version of it and it had a charm of its own and then why go and put in like a cgi jabba the hut all the time right why does simba have to have like fur shaders and things he was perfectly fine as an animated what's it and they're making loads of these aren't they because there was obviously beauty and the beast jungle book Lion King, Aladdin. Yeah, yes, there was a, a cartoon. Where's where is it going to stop? When's it going to end? Well, there's Little Mermaid, there's Tarzan, or they make Lilo and Stitch. I don't know. Because all of these original ones had a particular style to the animation. How are they going to capture that again in the CG? Maybe it's going to be amazing, and I'm going to have to eat my words. I mean, my predictions have been really off recently, so maybe it's going to be incredible. I don't know. I feel you're in touch with the world. Really? In your, but with a step to the side. So you know what the world is saying, but you just shut them out. <laughs> is that a polite way of saying you're a weirdo? You do by choice. I've opted out the rat race. I've opted out the human race. <laughs> Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. I have with me tonight Sir Michael. Hello. And myself. Timothy. Hello. We're book lover games. Allegedly. <laughs> I mean, not today. In fact, this would normally be the book club episode, except that we just <laughs> We're just not doing it. We're doing it in January. You get another main app for free. Well said. So what are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about a Link to the Past randomizer. Nintendo. And the discless Xbox One. So... A link to the past randomizer. You've wanted to talk about this for a long time. Yeah, this was another YouTube obsession of mine, watching the Link to the Past randomizer tournament. But more generally, Link to the Past randomizer and the fact that it is so entertaining to watch, at least in a speedrun race format. So, what is Link to the Past randomizer? It is a modified version of Link to the Past. Well, actually, I suppose it's not the modified version of Link to the Past itself. It is the application that randomizes a ROM of Link to the Past to make something magical and new. I think originally it was a standalone application, but now it's actually a website. You upload your Link to the Past ROM... And it has to be the Japanese version 1 ROM. It verifies that you have a valid ROM file. And then you can click a button to generate a randomised game. Or you can tweak a bunch of options to customise your randomised game. Or you can even actually choose the location of every single item in the game should you wish to not have a randomised game but a custom game. There are also all sorts of cosmetic options that you can set, from 
minor things like the colour of your heart in your health bar to even the sprite that Link uses. So you don't have to be Link. You can be Samus or Zelda or Mario or even really bizarre things like one of the spinning tiles or a mouse cursor. There's just dozens of sprites that you can pick from that people have made and they're available in the randomizer to replace Link. So how does it work in principle? So if you're playing the standard randomized mode, there's this concept called the logic. And people who are playing randomizer or commentating on watching people playing randomizer will often talk about the logic and how the logic is leading you or leading the player to this particular place. So it doesn't just randomly scramble the items in the game because that would be very likely to lead to a game that was unfinishable. If you were just to randomly scramble the items, you might have no weapon or an item that's critical to finishing the game might be locked behind an obstacle that required that item. So, for example, the Moon Pearl might be in a dungeon in the Dark World and there was no way for you to get to the Moon Pearl without having the Moon Pearl. Thus, the game would be unfinishable, at least without using major game-breaking glitches like the Exploration Glitch, because there are crazy glitches in Zelda. You can actually... You can actually, if you know the right glitches, finish pretty much anything. But I digress. So, when the randomizer randomizes the game, it will apply the logic and ensure that items are never gated behind an item that is needed to acquire the item. (laughs) Sorry, my brain is melting now. So, for example, the gloves will never be placed behind rocks that require the glove to lift or the hookshot will never be placed behind a gap that is impossible to cross except with a hookshot. So you get the idea. Yep. And so when you're playing the randomizer and you get given the hookshot, then you know that certain locations have opened up. Or, for example, if you see the fire rod on top of the bookshelf in the library that requires the Pegasus boots then you know that the Pegasus boots can't possibly be in Skull Woods because Skull Woods requires the fire rod to finish. So it's very, very clever and it's kind of a puzzle game. Rather than following the story, you're instead following this thread of the logic through the game. And this is particularly interesting when you watch a race because the two runners will start out playing on the same seed but it's the way that they interpret the logic that can give them the edge. Not to mention that in a race, often you'll see runners do what's called a sequence break. So they may not have access to, say, Death Mountain in the logic, but they can go there anyway. So the major thing that gates off, say, Death Mountain is that to climb up Death Mountain, you have to go through a dark cave. And the game will never make you go through a dark room unless you have a light source basically the lamp. But if you're experienced with the game, you can actually just navigate through these dark rooms anyway, and so you can sequence break and go up Death Mountain. But you also know that anything you find up Death Mountain can't possibly lead to the lamp, because it's out of logic, and so on. So you get this extra meta layer of information too. Plus, there are really advanced sequence breaks, the main one of which is called hovering. And there's like a major distinction between runners of the game of ones who can hover and ones who can't hover. So again, it's like a really entertaining and exciting thing where 
someone will appear to be behind, but it's like, oh no, wait, this is one of the runners who can hover, and they'll hover over a gap. And hovering is a really difficult trick to pull off, like it's a frame-perfect trick. And then they'll suddenly pull into the lead. So, have, have you played this? No. Have you come close to playing this? Yeah, I've come really close to playing it. I've actually generated a bunch of randomised ROMs, and they're sitting on my desktop, ready to go. I did actually at one point consider whether we should play it together for the book club, but then I thought that would be cruel and unusual, because trying to play randomizer if you've never played the base game, is probably going to be quite strange. You know, if you don't have that experience of how Link to the Past is meant to work, and what the items are meant to do in a logical way, then suddenly being just dropped into randomizer is going to be bizarro. Having said that, there are plenty of people who play randomizer who've never played the unrandomized game. You know, they watched it, they saw it on Twitch, and then they got into it, but they got into it through randomizer and not through having had the nostalgia of Link to the Past and wanting a new way to play Link to the Past. So you wanted to talk about how the randomizer works, technically. I just think ROM hacking in general is kind of mind-blowing. It's probably not obvious unless you're a programmer or you won't have this visceral feel for just how crazy it is unless you are a programmer and understand what it is to write code and then when code is compiled, the output, and then realising that when you're hacking a ROM, you're not changing the program by changing the code. You're changing a program by changing the machine instructions. It's like total madness. And these ROM hacking tools that people have come up with have gotten so advanced that, well, I mean, I suppose the randomizer in a way is not that crazy compared to writing a full-blown editor and there are plenty of those as well. So I just think it's amazing. People have, have literally gone and looked at the literal bytes in the ROM and figured out what they all mean and built up their own mental model of how they can like inject code into the ROM or move different bits of the ROM around and have it still make sense and then written tools to industrialize that process and then put a GUI on the top of it and then anybody can edit Zelda or Mario or Super Metroid and then people have then built automations on top of those editors and then we have things like the randomizer it's just it's just mind-blowing it's just incredible I think the craziest manifestation of this is the combo randomizer as they call it the Super Metroid Link the Past randomizer I mean this is something that I just couldn't believe it when I saw it. It's just this this strange quirk of the code that the ROM locations that Super Metroid occupies and the ones that Link the Past occupy don't overlap. And so you can put the two games into a single ROM and they don't conflict. And then you can write some glue such that when you walk through certain doors in one game, it just jumps to the, a location in a different game and starts it up. So 
you can literally walk into the fortune teller's hut in Link to the Past and come out of a door in Brinstar in Super Metroid. And then you can run the randomizer algorithm and apply the logic and you can start sprinkling Super Metroid items into Zelda and Zelda items into Super Metroid. So you can literally be stuck in Super Metroid like, oh, I can't find the Morph Ball and you have to go into Zelda and then go into Eastern Palace and fight the Armos Knights and then you'll find the Morph Ball on them or something. Like, it's completely nuts. That sounds like a great game idea. It, it, you've literally just, like, smushed two games together. It's it's incredible. I, I'm really amazed they did it. I also feel like most people can't appreciate quite how crazy this is and how quite genius it is. I, when I first saw it, I was just thinking, just imagine if I went back in time to like my 10-year-old self or what, however old I would have been when these games were contemporary and just showed them, hey, look, I took this cartridge and I took that cartridge and I smashed them together and I made this single game with both games in it. It's like, it's amazing. It's 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 hard to find the words. But there's no reason why you couldn't do that with games today. Without having to hack it, you could literally find two games and collaborate properly. Well, I don't think it's quite the same thing, right? Because like games today don't work like that. They're not they're not so bare metal, right? They're not like literally this area of bytes mapped in memory and this area of bytes mapped in memory and then you jump between the two. Like if you were to put like Dark Souls and Prey together or something, like you're just loading like massive amounts of textures and assets and stuff into memory. So like, yes, you could do it, but it would be like a fundamentally different thing. Technically, I'm not talking about technically, I'm talking about from a game design perspective or a game play perspective. Yeah, I mean, there's... Oh man, I can't remember the name of it. That this is really embarrassing. I can't remember the name of it. If I if I'm able to find it again, I will put it in the show notes. But it was something called like Super Mario Mashup or something. Like it was a flash game, and it was basically Super Mario Brothers. But instead of just playing as Mario, you could also play as the guy from Contra, or Link, or Samus, or any number of other NES characters. And they actually all had their abilities from their original games in Mario. So when you're playing as Mario, it was just like Super Mario Brothers. But when you're playing as Link, you didn't have to jump on Goombas. You would just stab them with your sword. Or when you're playing as the Contra guy, you could just like blast everything with your machine gun. Like It was a mashup of all these different games. And obviously it wasn't done by hacking the ROMs. It was done by literally, you know, rewriting the game and just, you know, lifting the sprites out and then re-implementing the game again in Flash. But that was fun. That wasn't some idea of, like, what a mashup of all these games would be like. But the magic of, you know, the randomizer and the combo randomizer in particular, this isn't a kind of mashup, you know, conceptually. This is... Literally, you have fused the data of these two games together. You can actually take the randomizer ROM, even the combo randomizer ROM, and put it on a flashcard and run it on a real SNES. You know, this is a real game. You know, you you could literally have made physical cartridges that had this combined game on them. Like Nintendo could have done this. Like, can you imagine? That sounds I, quite cool when you say it like that. I feel like you have to be a programmer to appreciate like the majesty and the absurdity of it. 
I'm sure at some point somewhere someone is going to do that. I hope so. What? Dump the ROM onto a car and play it on a. Oh no no no! You don't get it. People do this all the time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a number of the competitors in the randomizer tournament prefer to play on a real physical SNES. This is a common thing. That's quite cool. This really is a rabbit hole. The amount people can get into this kind of retro gaming and ROM hacking everything. Like, just to to give you a flavour of how much further it can go, you can actually swap out the instruments on like the synthesizer chip in the natural snares. So when you're running one of these flashcards, you can actually make it so that it instead of playing it with the sounds of the original snare sound chip, you can change like the sound canvas. So it sounds like it's playing with an orchestra or it sounds like it's playing on like a Game Boy or something. And it is just really cool and interesting. And in fact, touching on something that we will probably end up getting to later, I know that some people do this so that when they're playing the game and they're going to upload it to YouTube, Nintendo won't recognize the music and give them a copyright, you know, claim because as far as Nintendo knows, this isn't Zelda anymore because it's playing with an orchestra or it's playing with like you know different instruments. Fun factoid. Talking of Nintendo. We have so many Nintendo items. A couple of finance ones. So between Thanksgiving and Cyber Monday, Nintendo registered its highest US sales in its history, surpassing the Wii sales. Amazing. Buy Nintendo stock. Buy it now. But, but. A report from Bloomberg has come out saying that Nintendo will miss its two-year sales target. What? Of 38 million? By how much? By 3 million. Impossible! Sell Nintendo stock! Lame. I don't... How could... The world of finance is weird. It is a silly business. I don't know. I guess they're, they're both bits of news are taken out of context. Because it's just a five-day period from a period of two years. So what can you make of that, really? And sales targets are just plucked out of the air for the fir- from the first year, for instance. It's all made up. People just like a good story. The stock market is garbage. But, you know, we can make jobs this way. We can make jobs this way. <laughs> I'm a job creator, man. I'm a job creator. Give me a million dollars. I'll tell you how many sales we'll make. <laughs> t- Three. <laughs> 38 million is a lot. 3 million, I guess, is also a lot. But, like, when you've got 38 million, what's 3 million here or there? Well, I guess 3 million... Uh, I guess it is a lot. Who knows? I don't know. I don't think the human brain is really equipped to handle numbers like this properly. But you're a scientist, kind of. Kind of. You're- I just I just watched PBS Space Time, man. That doesn't make me a scientist. <laughs> what I want to say is you can handle numbers just because there's six zeros on the end. You can still work them out. Yeah, but I don't know what it means. You know, when what does something like mean? Like, do you have like a feeling for just how much 
even one million really is? No, I'm a human, so like numbers mean something because I'm told they mean something. Like ten means something because it's a round number. Fifty means something, but it doesn't mean anything. Hundred means something, but it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, again, this is another rabbit hole you could go down, and like people who have mysterious autistic savant powers and stuff, like because numbers below a certain number, I think your brain can just like deal with it. Like you can just at a glance look at like up to seven objects and just know it's seven or up to like 12 or you know it's 12. I don't know. There's a certain number which your brain can just instantly deal with it. But then for most people, they get to a point that they just can't do it anymore. Like if there were like 37 objects, you would just look and be like, that's a lot of stuff and you'd have to count. But then again, there are people who can literally look at like 500 objects and just know there's 522 or something. No way. Yeah, it's an actual weird like savant type power like some people's brains just work differently but i'm not sure anyone can really comprehend what it means for nintendo to sell three million fewer than projected switches it's all made up it's all funny money anyway let's talk about what's important pokemon let's go eevee or pikachu which one did you buy i didn't buy either me neither (laughs) i know loads of people who did buy it I think the funniest thing is the number of people who have come up to me and say, oh, did you buy Eevee or Pikachu? And I'm like, I didn't buy either. And then they're really shocked that I didn't buy it. I am really shocked you didn't buy it. Why is everyone so surprised that I didn't buy it? You have a Pokemon, you have a Pikachu cushion. Shh, we don't don't have to tell the whole world this. (laughs) But yes. You're you're telling the whole world about your new cushions anyway. (laughs) My new Husky cushions. I was robbed, man. The transaction didn't go through. Sorry, this is an aside. We don't need to go into this. You're engaging with the community day. You play Pogo. Why are you not getting Let's Go? I was just thinking, do I really need to play Pokemon Red slash Blue slash Yellow again? I just have so many other games to play. Is playing the original Pokemon, albeit a beautiful remake of it, Again, a good use of my time, and I concluded, no. I concluded I would rather play another 10 rounds of Slay the Spire, (laughs) or probably I should be playing, say, Red Dead Redemption 2, and hence I didn't buy it. We can move on. Are you going to buy Smash Brothers Ultimate? I feel like I have to. Does that even make sense? Yes, because you provide games for the meetup people. (laughs) It literally is that kind of situation. Like, I feel like, I feel like if you have a Switch and you didn't buy Smash Brothers, you're somehow not doing it right. Your services to the community are lacking. I I just think there are certain games that, like, define a system. And Smash Brothers, I guess, is one of those games. So you're buying this game out of obligation. Well, no, no, no. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not buying it just because I think people want to play it at, you know, the retro game meetup. I'm buying it because I feel like it will be one of the defining games of the Switch. And I should play it for that reason. And also because I can play as Isabel. But I don't know how fun it's really going to be because... Like, who am I going to play this with, right? Smash Brothers is way more fun 
if you play with other people. And but all the content, you'll be able to experience all the content. It's going to be like Forza Horizon or something. It's going to be like so much content to unlock. And I'm just like, yeah, actually, you know what? This is literally the problem. Actually, this is why I bounced off. What is the last Smash Brothers game I own? Did you own the Wii Smash Brothers? Nope. But you own the GameCube one. Yes. Okay. So I had the original one on the N64. And I played it a lot and I unlocked everything. And well, the thing is like I was at school at the time it came out, right? So I had plenty of friends who wanted to come over and play Smash Brothers and so on. But I didn't have a GameCube. And by the time the Wii was contemporary and I bought the Wii Smash Brothers, I was a working adult and my friends were all grown ups too. And like, I didn't have anyone who wanted to play Smash Brothers anymore. And so I tried to play it on my own. But it's just not really fun single player. And there are just so many characters to unlock, right? And you feel kind of like cheated if you've only got like the base roster. Because you know there's all these other characters in there that you want to be able to play as. But you can't because they're behind onerous unlock conditions. Your friends aren't playing with you because you don't have the characters unlocked. Well, I'm sure that's not the only reason. It's probably because, you know, they've got jobs and children and whatever. But or are you telling me that if I got unlocked Roy and Marth, you'd come around and play? <laughs> Immediately. Yeah, I don't know what it's going to be like, actually. I, I, I actually hadn't considered that until we were talking just now. But they've actually released on one of the, like, the Treehouse videos, you know, video of the roster when you first get the game and then the complete roster with everyone unlocked and it's like night and day and i'm just thinking is it going to be fun to unlock all these characters or is it going to be a chore is it mario kart where they're all unlocked in in the first place yeah mario kart 8 everything is unlocked at the start on the switch but that is definitely not the case for the switch smash brothers but you'll get to play... There is a campaign to unlock them in, maybe, potentially. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether they can all be unlocked single-player if you have to do multiplayer for some of them. But then, I don't know. I mean, I guess I did buy Switch Online so I could play the NES games. <laughs> so I suppose I can play with randoms on the internet. We can play with each other. Are you going to buy it? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, shut your mouth, Ting. If you're not going to buy it, you know, don't tease. Well, see, I don't know how it's going to do. I really don't know whether the world wants another Smash Brothers and whether they'll rate it well. Are you kidding? The world is already, like, undergoing Smash Brothers-based meltdown. Like, okay, we should clarify. At the time we're recording this episode, it has not yet been released. So we are actually still one week from release at the moment we're talking. But you know, like... How the sequel of a sequel of a sequel will never be a great game. Only the original or the sequel will be a great game. I would... would, What? (laughs) Breath of the Wild is a sequel to a sequel to a sequel to a sequel. They've they've redone Mario Kart 8 is the sequel to a sequel to a sequel to a sequel. Super Mario Odyssey is the sequel. Sorry, sorry. So what I mean, like Mario Kart 8 Deluxe was better than Mario Kart 8. I feel, uh, I don't know, I feel like it's like a FIFA 17. Oh, that's really unfair. I'm going to get roast, like destroyed for saying that. 
because people say that this is the last time they can do Smash Brothers like this. They'll have to change it next time. I think you're probably right. Like, this feels like a greatest hits ultimate. Well, I mean, it's even called ultimate, right? The fact that people were saying, like, who's going to be in Smash Brothers this time? Everyone. Everyone who has ever been in Smash Brothers is in this one, plus all these others. But it's kind of like my, it turns out, completely false prediction about, like, the end of console generations, right? In a way, why make a new Smash Brothers? Why not just keep DLCing forever and ever and ever? Because you had to make a new Smash Brothers before because the consoles had just got so much more powerful and the graphics were so much more beautiful on the new, you know, on the new hardware. But like, we've kind of reached saturation now, at least for the style of Smash Brothers. So they don't need to make a new one. They can just keep adding characters to this one. Characters, levels, soundtracks. Yeah, so who knows? I mean, I'm going to buy it, but... Ugh. Do you want to talk about the leaks? Yes. As I, I said... Wait, wait, let me... I've tried to steer clear of the leaks, though. So I don't actually know that much about the leaks, because I don't want to get spoiled. <laughs> actually, I also know nothing about the leaks, other than that there have been leaks. <laughs> so I just know that somehow it's leaked, and if you have a hacked Switch... You can play it, and the soundtracks and the remix songs have been uploaded to the internet, and the Nintendo has just, like, ultimate mega nuclear striked all of the channels that have uploaded these leaked soundtracks. Like, they've just, not just copyright claims, but copyright strikes and tried to shut all these channels down. So, that's actually all I know. I just thought it was interesting in the context of Nintendo finally ending their creators program which even we fell afoul of i'm just gonna say nintendo's copyright nonsense was a major factor in me being like screw this i can't be bothered to upload stuff to youtube anymore because for a while i was actually encoding the podcast episodes as videos as well and uploading to youtube but invariably we would use some nintendo kind of bit of sound as interstitial music and nintendo would just then put in a copyright claim on the video for like 10 seconds of audio and it's not like we were monetizing the videos anyway and it's not like we had like a huge number of views on the podcast on youtube anyway so it was like screw this it's not worth it i'm just not going to bother but nintendo have finally decided to join the internet age and say hey we can't control all of the Nintendo content on the internet, maybe we should just let it go. And you no longer have to expect all of your Nintendo content to be claimed by Nintendo, and you have to go back to Nintendo cap in hand and beg for them to give some of the money back to you. Now you can just put videos with Nintendo content on YouTube and monetize them yourself. Do you know if the creators program impacted or affected esports? So if you had Smash Brothers on your channel from an esports tournament do they claim that no I, I think they do i think they literally claimed everything and again like i know that carl sagan 42 who i watch on youtube i think he would often play with the sound down 
so that it wouldn't be picked up by the Nintendo Content ID stuff. So, you know, this was a major limiting factor. And people, people were always saying, wow, Nintendo just doesn't understand the internet. Like, Nintendo are trying to control everything. This just, this just means that Nintendo's presence on the internet is just going to diminish because people don't want to put Nintendo content on YouTube. It's like, you know, to use a Star Wars reference, the tighter they squeeze, like the more planets will slip through their grasp. Regardless, it was a bad idea and they finally realised it. Because I, you know, YouTube's algorithm is very funny. I don't know whether there is a lot of Nintendo content out there as a result. The mysteries of what YouTube decides to suggest you. What does YouTube suggest you? I mean, you know what YouTube suggests me. (laughs) Cricket highlights, F1 highlights. Seriously? Yeah, because I watch them. Reviews, I get a lot of video game reviews. This is so fascinating. YouTube is such a fascinating place. Because literally one person's experience of YouTube can be so different to another's. I remember one time I watched some video that was linked on Reddit and it temporarily sorted me into some different YouTube bubble. And for a little while I was getting loads of videos. I was like, what is this? I I just don't understand this entire subculture. It's just sorted me into. What was there? Oh, it was this whole like men go their own way thing or something it was literally this which is like a term i'd literally never heard of before as well i i can't even remember why the video was linked on reddit like i can't remember if the video was being held up as a good example or a bad example or something but i watched some video on youtube that was linked on reddit and i temporarily got this completely different youtube experience gone were endless northern iron binding of isaac videos gone were people trying to recreate gourmet versions of different snacks and suddenly a whole load of bizarre identity politics and videos about how you should oh i don't know it was just very strange youtube the gift that just keeps on giving you can go down the rabbit hole and watch the videos you can go down the rabbit hole and talk about the video we could have a podcast just about youtube (laughs) Yeah, you could just dump, keep jumping into lots of these pits and see where you are, see what's in there. The YouTube pit. This is a great podcast idea. We should totally do this one day. We're pivoting. We're pivoting. You may find something terrifying, though. You're probably right. Finally. Microsoft is reportedly launching a diskless Xbox One next year. This is going to be their budget-friendly console, coming in at 200 US dollars. As part of this, they're going to introduce a disk-to-digital program. So you can hand in your physical disks and they'll give you a, a digital code. What are they going to do with the disks? Do you think you have to mail them in? Tell them to GameStop. Tell them, well, no, the point is, like they, I guess they want to bring the games out of circulation like you have to go and like snap the disc in front of them and then they'll give you a code to prove you've destroyed the other i thought the retailer would take them well you're otherwise you're right you'd have to mail them in oh well that's why i'm wondering right because if you traded the disc in and got a digital code and they could resell the physical disc and that's why i'm wondering like will you be able to take it to certain participating physical stores but then what are they going to do with those discs but then it 
It feels like destroying the disc is such a waste. It's just, it's just wasteful. The world is a wasteful place. Sorry, sorry. I just despair sometimes. That was quite good. I think you should keep going. What would you do with the discs if you're running this program? Frisbees. <laughs> Frisbees for the world. Frisbees for the world. I use, I use them like a coaster. I'd use it in some of these AOL discs you used to get. No, I don't know what I would do. I mean, if look, if I was Microsoft, yeah, I would destroy the discs. Because the whole point is you're trying to bring the games out of circulation. Otherwise, you're devaluing the game on the secondary market. And why are you doing this? You're doing this to try and kill the secondary market. You don't want people to be able to resell the games. Can you recycle discs? No, there's no one's... No one has that technology. You can recycle it with fire. And then we'll all use it in its second life. Plants will absorb the carbon dioxide liberated from the plastic and turn it into delicious sugars for cows to eat. I thought you'd say coasters. (laughs) That's not recycling it with fire. That's recycling it with cups. (laughs) Fine. Fine. It's a funny one because... Me from 10 years ago would be appalled. Me from 10 years ago... You're, you're appalled anyway, what, 10 years ago, current day. <laughs> <laughs> well, me from now is appalled with me from 10 years ago. But I, I think there's a common sentiment. Most people uh, disapprove of their former selves. But... I doubt you do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you revel in your former self. <laughs> I was a jerk back then, too. No. Past Mike was cool with physical media past Mike was why would I want to buy a limited burdened with DRM copy of something that I don't really really own is just data on a breakable hard drive and one day it will be gone and then it's just lost forever right the fragility of a hard drive versus the fragility of a disc I just never bought digital games at least on console but then in the intervening years consoles digital rights have basically become like steam so you buy it it's tied to your account they know it belongs to your account and you can put your account on a different console and just download the game again and actually i'm totally cool with that also, I discovered discs are total trash. Do you remember we tried to play Gears of War and my my disc just totally didn't work? Yes. So I thought that was a drive. No, it was a disc. Do you not remember? I went and I went and actually bought another copy for like the equivalent of two pounds from the computer center, and it actually worked perfectly fine. So literally, the disc just died somehow. I've never seen that happen before. Do you remember on Tomorrow's World where they said, "Oh, discs are going to are indestructible." Unless you recycle them with fire. They're certainly more indestructible than, like, vinyl. But... (laughs) More, more. (laughs) You can't use the word more indestructible. (laughs) Sorry, more durable. Wow, Ting, I didn't realise you were such a pet. (laughs) No, it's good. You should call it out when when people use language incorrectly. (laughs) <laughs> sorry just don't expect it from you of all people 
I'm only human. <laughs> Despite having opted out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it makes sense. I think we finally come to the point in time where... Well, actually, I say this. In Hong Kong, certainly, we've come to the point where going digital only makes sense. And I think for the rest of the world, too, at least in the major markets for the Xbox, they all have the internet infrastructure to support this. Because... Let's be honest now, most games on disc, the disc is not enough to actually play the game anyway. There's like some like 50 gig day one patch anyway. So the disc is kind of worthless. I mean, wasn't there some outrage recently with like Spyro Trilogy or something, you know, the remastered version and the disc actually only contained Spyro 1 and you have to download 2 and 3 off the internet. Because they just didn't bother putting them on the disc. They weren't ready in time. So they just pressed the discs anyway. Just Spyro 1 on them. I mean, when's this going to stop? Are they going to literally just like press a disc with a license key on it at some point? They're going to be like, oh, the game's not ready. Uh, Just press the disc with a title screen on it. And the rest will have to come off the internet, right? I mean, it's literally getting to that point now. And so why bother with the disc? Just accept it. So you're okay with digital downloads now? I've already gone all digital. So on the Switch, I had two games that came bundled with the console. I bought one other physical cartridge, and then I was like, wow, this is a bad idea. Let's not do this. All my games since then, digital only. The PlayStation, the only physical game I bought, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. And again, I was just like, wow, this was a bad idea. Never again, digital only. How do you feel about Game Pass or subscribing for games? I can see that it would work. I can see that it makes sense. For some people, at least. I mean, I don't think I would want to do it. Because I actually really don't think I play enough games. I have all the games already. Well, that too. I have all the games. I I do have just such a massive backlog. (laughs) No, but I I can definitely see that there's an argument for it. And it could well make sense. Because that fits having a discless console. I don't think it fits any more or less than than owning the games. I think it's certainly a model that you can only do with digital distribution. Well, I say that unless you want to literally be like OG Netflix and you're mailing discs back and forth. But it's certainly a model that works that's much better. They, that's what they'll do with the discs. I said that at the beginning. I'm sorry. Doesn't matter. I said that, Ting. I said that already. Mm-hmm. One of the problems of being digital only is you need to drive space. You have this problem on everything you play games on. This is the reason why I originally thought digital downloads were dumb. Because they used to be tied to the physical device. I mean, this is very early on. Like, this is... This is obviously not how Steam has ever worked. And this is, I guess... I'm mostly talking about the model that Nintendo used to use for like the Wii and the 3DS. So your download was tied to your physical device. If you lost that device, too bad, you have to buy it again. If you delete the game, can you download it again? I guess you can on the original device that bought it, maybe. But nowadays, it's less of a problem as long as you're willing just to download the game again. So it's more an issue of how many games you can have on your device at a time and for the ps4 
The answer is really not very many. Like your average PS4 game is what? 30 gigabytes plus? Quite often more than 50? Yes. And the PS4 hard drive, at least if you have an original PS4, was 500 gigs. And you can't even use all of that 500 gigs because a certain amount has to go to the operating system and other guff. So you can have maybe five games. Five, like, AAA games, anyway. Five to seven. Seven, yeah. But things like GTA, Destiny, terrible games. Yeah, they just take up so much space. But you have this problem on your PC as well. Or don't you? No, I, I do. But at least with a PC, it's easy just buy a massive honking hard drive and shove it in. Like, hard drives are massive these days. You can buy, like, a four or six terabyte hard drive pretty easily. A hard drive, like, literal spinning chunks of metal hard drive, not an SSD. I mean, fortunately, internet here in Hong Kong is also just so fast. Like, downloading a 60 gig game, pfft, whatever. But for a time, I don't know if it's still the case, the Sony servers wouldn't service you quick enough. Yeah, that was... <laughs> that's definitely true. Like... 60 gig game on Steam, no problem. Set it downloading, go make a cup of tea, come back, it's done. 60 gig game on PlayStation, set it downloading, go to sleep, wake up, go to work, come home. Oh dear, go make dinner, go to sleep, go to work, come home. It's definitely got better. I think RDR2 literally downloaded at my max connection speed. And we talked about Smash Brothers, which you'll buy online. You said you will actually, you said you would prefer to buy that online than get the physical version. Yeah. Do you know why? No. The Switch is a portable console. I don't want to have to be carrying around this console and like a whole load of like little chips. I'm going to lose them. I want to just carry around the Switch and it's all on the Switch. So I basically have Zelda. I may as well just like glue it into the cartridge slot because I don't want to ever take it out again. I mean, the only other games I have on console are 1-2 Switch, which let's be honest is better forgotten, and Pio Pio Tetris, which I <laughs> it's only in Japanese. It's one of the few games where it only has one language. It's really frustrating because my copy of Zelda actually has Japanese text on it, like... It's literally a Japanese edition of the game, but it just has all the languages baked into it. So when I put it into my Switch, which is primary language English, it was English. And I thought, oh, cool. This is how the Switch games are. So I bought Pio Pio Tetris, put it in the Switch. No, this one's Japanese only. So there's a bit of a pain. So basically, Zelda Breath of the Wild just lives in the cartridge slot forever now. And everything else, digital download. Having said that, I have run out of space on the Switch, so I'm going to have to just buy a massive micro SD card to put in there. I've actually been meaning to do it. Like, I keep meaning to go and buy one on the way home from work in preparation for Smash. One last thing. To be honest, this doesn't really fit, but I'm going to say it anyway, because we're not doing rapid fire. So just pretend this is rapid fire. Fallout 76. Yeah. The tenuous connection to this is like... Physical stuff. Physical media and physical tat and collector's editions. Do you buy collector's editions? Never. No, they're pointless. 
Well, okay. So rude. <laughs> Sorry. Just my personal opinion. I don't want more tat. I don't want more just like stuff. That's whole- not, that's, I, that, no one asked you about your personal opinion. <laughs> Sorry, just, <Dave. laughs> just to bring it back a little bit and don't <laughs> offend the world. <laughs> Go on. The Fallout 76, like super high tier collector's edition. 200 USD, and you were meant to get a Power Armor helmet, and a map and some stuff, and a canvas bag. Which looks quite nice. <laughs> but it turns out it's actually a nylon bag. <laughs> you know, to be honest, we don't actually have to rehash this, because neither of us bought it. Neither of us have bought Fallout 76 full stop, let alone the collector's edition. I just... I just I can't believe it. I think it's a bit, actually become bag gate, right? It's become such a thing. Oh, dear. So. So what do you get? Well, you get this nylon bag. And then to say sorry, they're giving you 500 atoms, which is the in-game currency. But someone's pointed out that 500 is not even enough to buy the bag in-game. The bag in-game costs 700. Because it's nicer than what you're getting in real life. So tragic. And the completely tone-deaf customer support response as well, I just thought it was really funny. Which was? It was something along the lines of, oh, that was just a marketing sample. It was actually too expensive to make, so we just went with the nylon instead. It, 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 we're not going to do anything about it. Too bad. To bring this vaguely back onto topic, if there are no longer physical game discs, will we still have collector's editions? If there's no game to go with it, will they just sell you the digital game and like the digital deluxe collector's stuff and then send you a load of physical tat as well? Looks like Amiibo. You'll buy Amiibo, but without the game. <laughs> Excuse me, I will not buy Amiibo. <laughs> okay, maybe you're right. I'll just buy you some Amiibo for Christmas then. <laughs> We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. On Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. On Twitch. And YouTube, but not the podcast, as Lost Levels Club. Is that it? That's it. What are you grateful for? I am grateful that Twitter is no longer my responsibility. We have help with the Twitter. So many thanks to Kez for taking over. Is he taking over? Is he just helping out? Doing something with Twitter. I don't know. Twitter's officially no longer my problem. You just have to do less. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Really? I thought I'd just delete my login. (laughs) I thought I could just like take the Twitter app and put it in the bin. No, I'm kidding. I actually quite like flicking through Twitter, but I'm just bad at tweeting. I'm bad at tweeting stuff. So, you know. It's interesting because you're not bad at about spouting about things, but you're really bad at tweeting. You just have to channel it into a tweet. I'm bad at spouting out stuff in writing. You know, it, it, when you're just saying it in voice, it feels like it feels like it's one thing. But when you're putting it into words... It's not the same. Not the same. We, we need put, to talk to Twitter the Twitter guys and ask them to do voice notes voice notes 
<laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Blah! I was like, this torrent of like vomit coming out of my mouth. Blah! Tweet, 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 tweet. Oh, seriously, it'll be the second coming of Twitter. They're already in trouble. They need this. Anyway, thanks to Kez. So Michael says bye. Bye bye.